Welcome to the One City Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. I have the privilege of speaking with you again this week. Um, this is kind of part two of the series that we began last week. Um, we simply called it Discovering You or Discover You, um, <clears throat> kind of a play on the, on the university theme. And these are basically foundational truths or fundamental truths about living a fulfilling life. And if you were here last week, this will be a recap for you. If not, this will be a quick catch up. But basically, we, we really just talked last week about a few key ideas. Firstly, that understanding your identity is key to living a fulfilling life. God is calling each of us to a deeper awareness of our identity, and that calling produces four things in us. It produces revelation, primarily of who God is, but also of who he has created us to be. It produces relationship a change or an alteration in how we relate to God, to one another, to his church, to our circumstances. It creates resourcefulness. We find, as we talked about last week, that everything that we need is between the branch and the vine. And it produces relevance, a way that you matter in the world around you. And last we talked about the fact that only God can call you into your truest version of yourself. Now, there are are tremendous resources that can help you begin to understand more of who you are. And I I hope to, by the end of this message, if not perhaps in an email coming this week, share with you what some of those resources are. Uh, There are beautiful and and amazing ways that people have already done a lot of the, the, the legwork in helping you to understand yourself. But remember that only God can actually reveal your unique personal fingerprints, if you will, of identity. And frankly, who better, who better to truly know you than the one who designed you, than the one who created you, than the one who, who loves you, than the one who died for you? It is him that has the best say regarding everything concerning you. And you're not random. You are not random. Everything that God does, he does with purpose. So I want to go quickly to Genesis chapter 2, just to open this message, and talk a little bit about this idea of purpose. We're going to look at just two verses. Um, I've probably got them, uh, or they're probably going to come up on the screen here uh, in full, but really I want to focus on two verses from Genesis chapter 2. In verse 8, and this is, this is obviously quite early in the, the, the creation story, if you will. Um, God has just essentially you know, created all the, the animals and, the, and the, you know, the trees of the field and you know, beasts of the oceans and all those kinds of things. And, and then he makes man. He breathes his life into him and so on. We pick up the story right after that in, in verse 8. And it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And we'll, we'll fast forward to verse from there for, to verse 15. And verse 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden 
of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, I know this flies in the face of some people's, you know, loosely held theology that God made Adam in this place called Eden and so on and so forth. Um, I want to touch on this really quickly because I find that, that it's important for us to understand what God is doing here in his intention. When God makes man, he designs him with a purpose. He designs purpose into Adam. And he gives him a charge. Now watch this. The charge was not, here's the earth, Adam, have fun. It was, here's the garden. Not even, not even all of Eden. When you read carefully, there was a place called Eden, and God said, I'm going to put a garden in that place. So not only a, a larger place, I'm going to narrow it down even further and create a very specific place within this place. And I'm going to put the man there and say to him, this is your place. I'm going to give him a job to do. Tend it, keep it. And so one of the questions that that immediately come, brings to my mind is where has God placed you and for what purpose? What's your garden and are you making it better? As we're going to see, this is integrally tied to who God has made us to be. Now purpose always involves how you add to the world around you. God didn't put Adam in the, in the garden to sit my ties under the shade of the tree of life. Right? And yet we so often spend our lives pursuing the things that are going to make us happy and think that we are pursuing purpose. No, purpose always involves how will you make those and that around you better. But now notice, God didn't tell Adam who he was. He didn't say, now Adam... I've given you this, this garden, so here you are, and, and this is who I've called you to be, and you know, this, is, this is your identity, Adam, and so now go forth. Instead, he simply gave him meaningful work to do. Because doing meaningful work, we see in Scripture, is a catalyst for understanding who we are. Identity, oftentimes, identity works itself out while we are out working. And by work, I don't necessarily mean what you do to make a living. I really mean what you do to make a difference. And that doesn't have to be, you know, leading an army or saving a nation. That may be showing the light of love to your coworkers or your friends at school. It may be raising up the next generation of godly men and women, even though right now they're still in diapers. It matters as long as it's meaningful to someone else and furthers the purposes of God. And so purposeful work reveals and refines our character. But, care, but refining character is not like, it's not like peeling back layers. It's not like folding back the sheets. It's like chiseling into stone 
That's how character is defined. So the, the famous artist in many respects, Michael, but he was a sculptor, among other things, Michelangelo said this when he was asked about one of his most iconic carvings. He said, he said every block of stone has a statue inside of it. And the task of the sculptor is to discover it. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. God reveals identity by carving out character. He sees the angel in you. And he is dedicated to setting it free. Free to be a light in this world free to, to make a difference in this world, but that involves chiseling into the stone of your heart and your life to reveal that. There is someone inside of you that was designed to be powerful and free and full of light and strength and make a difference. And God is dedicated to carving that angel, to carving that stone until the angel is revealed. And so all and so God often calls us to be, sorry, he calls us to be someone more than we think we can be by calling us to do something more than we think we can do. He gives us meaningful work as a way of carving out character to reveal identity. Now understand that being and doing are not the same thing. Being and doing are not the same thing. In fact, this is where some, I'm off my notes, you got to pardon me. This is where some people, this is where some people get in trouble because they think that, that doing for God is the same as being with God. And this is why they get to the end of the road and, and they struggle. They struggle. Well, but, but Jesus, I mean, I was, I was a witness for you. I was on fire for you. I, did, I, I gave up my life for you. I, I, I did this for you. I was, you know, street corners and the whole, like, late nights and the whole nine yards. Did we not cast out demons in your name? I'm ahead of myself, but I'm just going to tell you that the mission is never the point. Identity is the point. Identi who you are, because who you are can only be fully understood in the context of who he is. And so it's your relationship with him and how that reveals who you are. That's what matters to God. So being and doing are not the same, but it is on the journey to purpose that God reveals the shape of our identity. Jesus called Simon Peter to follow him as a disciple years before he looked at Peter and made it plain and said, Thou art Peter. It was years before that happened, but it was years of journey and relationship. And so once again, God often calls us to be something more than we think we are by calling us to do something more than we think we can. Now, another caveat, and then I'll, I'll try to leave those rabbits alone, stop chasing them, and, and we'll, we'll get down the road. Just because you believe that you are anointed to be king doesn't mean that you won't sit playing the harp for someone else. Oh, 
I said, you can have all the experience with God you want. You can have had angels dancing all on your head. And God is still going to put you through school to carve out character in your life so that your character can match the level of your anointing and you can actually ascend to the level of your identity. All right, let's look at how identity and purpose tie together in the life of a Bible character. And for this, we're going to Judges chapter 6. It's the story of Gideon. Now, we know the story of Gideon. Most of us know. We, we know what I'm going to call the highlights. We know that Gideon you know, put a fleece before the Lord and said, you know, God, if, you, you know, if, if you're with me, then you know, make it rain and, and the cotton not be wet. And God, if, now the next day, if you're with me, make it rain and only the cotton be wet. Like, we know that stuff. We know that Gideon had an army of only 300 people down from the thousands that would have followed him in order to conquer this, this great enemy army and that God did that as a great victory through him. Like, we know the highlights. I, I want to... But see, this is one of the problems. One of the problems is that some, so often we look at Bible heroes. And for that matter, we look at heroes in our own lives. We look at people that are even alive and, and around us today. And we go, yeah, they're so great. Look at, like, look at all those highlights. Look at all that great stuff that they get to do. Yeah, that, that's, that's not me. I, I could never do that. So I want to take you back to the beginning of Gideon's story. So we can see actually where this whole thing began. And so Judges chapter 6, we're going to look at a few verses here, picks up the story. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, and I'm reading from the NIV. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Ebezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Oh, we are going to come back to that. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13, uh, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of of Midian. We're going to come back. Well, I should just probably just go ahead and finish it up. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am not I sending you? Okay. So we see in this very first verse that God comes to us in the place where we have a need. Oftentimes, when things are going great, God doesn't just kind of show up out of the blue and go, hey, I got a, you got a job for you. No, usually it's when something's not going so well. Now, I know, I know everyone in here is like, you're, you're, you're all square, everything's, everything's rocking along, all 12 cylinders, right? So, so you don't, maybe this doesn't necessarily fit you, but just, just know that, that there's probably someone that you know where everything in their life is not just perfect. And that's the kind of place where God likes to show up. And he meets Gideon exactly where he is. He doesn't say, Gideon, you've got to come over here. You've got to do something different. You've got you, you to prepare yourself. You've got to do all these things in order to come to me. 
God says, I get it, Gideon. I'll just, I'll just show up right where you are, my friend, right where you are, and let's just have a conversation. That place is a very, very long way off from his destiny. Gideon is threshing wheat in order to hide it from the Midianites because the Midianites have been stealing. If you read the, the previous verses, they've been stealing the sustenance of Israel. The Israel, they came, the, the Bible says that they came in such great numbers that they were like grasshoppers. Like, 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 a, like a plague of insects is how numerous they were across the land. And every time the Israelites would, would you know, grow crops or try to do something to really survive, and, you know, get, get their strength and potentially be, become strong enough to actually fight back, the Midianites would just kind of descend as, as, a, as, a, as a swarm and just consume everything, take all their, their, their food, all their crops, all their stuff. And so this is why... Here, here Gideon is, he's threshing wheat. Wheat because, of course, you have to make, your, they, they made bread with wheat. Bread being the most basic substance that you could get into your body to actually survive. And so he's working hard to merely survive, watch this, in a wine press. A wine press is where you make wine. And wine is used for celebration. Wine is used when you're thriving. Wine is used for feasting and making merry and lifting spirits. Wine symbol in the Bible symbolizes excess. It symbolizes the power of God's spirit. And we see Gideon working in to, merely to survive in a place that was designed for thriving. I know you don't know anybody who's there, but just in case you ever come across them. I wonder how often we are guilty of coming into a place like this building, designed for feasting and making merry and lifting spirits, and we're really just hiding from our enemies and hoping to make it through another day. But that is precisely the kind of place where the messenger of God will show up and remind you that you were made for more than this. And so God speaks to Gideon. And look what he says. He speaks to identity before mission. He says, He says, The Lord is with you, mighty Warrior and Gideon's go course going, <laughs> mighty who? Who are you talking to? Mighty warrior, because as as we've already touched on, identity is far far more important to God than mission is. God didn't need Gideon. God's going God's gonna to deliver Israel from their enemies. You think he needs what, uh, this, this guy? Threshing wheat behind a wine press who has no idea who he is? No. The mission was never the point. Identity. Identity was the point. But God also knew that Gideon would never step into his true identity if he didn't go on the journey of purpose. He would never reach his potential. And so 
God affirms his intention to Gideon. Next, he affirms Gideon's identity. And in this first encounter, we really see, we really see two calls. We see a call first into relationship with himself. God is saying, I'm with you. And he's saying, if you can accept this, Gideon, this will transform our relationship as a way of revealing your identity. The Lord is with you. He is calling him into a deeper relationship with himself. And then secondly, he is affirming, he is calling um, uh, uh, Gideon into a deeper revelation of his own identity. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's response? Gideon challenges God's intentions and by extension his identity. Watch this. Gideon challenges God's character. He says, he says, if God is who he says he is, if God says who he says he is, if God is, does that, does that sound reminiscent to anyone else of something else? Seems like I've heard that, that, that sort of talk before. Oh, that's right. If thou be the Son of God. The point in there is that, you know, the longer you live disconnected from your identity, the more your thoughts begin to reflect the voice of your enemy. Identity aligns our thinking and it marshals our energies and our gifts toward a worthwhile purpose. But in the same way, living without identity actually marshals our energies and our thoughts in the wrong direction. We can actually become prophets for our enemy if we are not careful. And so God's response, God doesn't defend his identity. God, God just ignores Gideon's accusation altogether. He just, he just moves right past. You know, I, I, I can almost, uh, okay, I'm going to geek out. I, I can almost hear, like, in, in the Matrix, the, the movie, the original movie, I can almost hear that, 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 that encounter where Neo, the hero, he says, he says to his mentor, he says, he says, what are you telling me? That I can dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, no, what I'm trying to tell you is when you're ready, you won't have to. I said, when you know who you are, you won't even have to bother dodging the accusations of the enemy. You will be able to exist in the kind of majesty of calm that we see God displaying in this passage of Scripture. And so instead of responding to Gideon's challenge, God simply reaffirms his intention, reaffirms Gideon's identity, and then he calls him to action. He says, look at this. He says, God is about to start carving away the stone and revealing the angel underneath. He says, go in this your strength, that's identity, and deliver Israel. That's the call to action. I think we need to redefine this idea of leaning on the Lord. By the way, 
Because God doesn't actually usually intend to do anything for you. He actually intends to do things through you. And so Judges 15 and 16, the next two verses, tell us, they show us that, you know, Gideon's just a little bit slow on the uptake. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And, <laughs> and the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I think this is personally, I think this is just absolutely amazing. So deep is Gideon's inferiority complex that when challenging God and, and God's character and God's identity doesn't work, Gideon immediately ch- turns around and challenges his own identity. And what Gideon is doing, I understand it, but what Gideon is doing is he's trying to reconcile the revelation of God's identity with Gideon's own circumstance. No, I know, I know, I know. Why in the world would anyone ever do that? But by leaning on circumstance, we reveal where we place our confidence. When we say, I can't because of this situation, whatever it may be, we actually elevate that situation to a place of authority over us. You know, a preacher asked a man one time, how are you doing? And the man said, well, uh, I guess I'm all right under the circumstances. The preacher said, what are you doing under there? Look at God's response once again. He completely ignores Gideon's circumstance. And he refocuses Gideon on himself. He essentially says, you you can because I will. You can because I will. Because I am, you are. Now, we've got to talk about this I am for just a minute. God is. I can't can't go too deep. I don't have time. But God is. God just is. when, when, When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said, I am. That's it. Done. God simply is. Now, he didn't say, I I was. He didn't say, I will be. He said, I am. So, So when God speaks to us like he spoke to Gideon, he's not talking about potential. He's talking about his own reality. They didn't get it. Not yet. When God spoke to Gideon in Judges 6 and said, you know, go in this your strength and deliver Israel, God was already in Judges 7, where this army of 300 people routed an army of multiple thousands. He was already in Judges 8 when when they chased down the enemy kings to the very last one. God was already there. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. Before Gideon was aware he was a mighty man of God, I am watching him do mighty things. Before William was even a Christian, when he was still walking in darkness, having no understanding of God, I am speaking through him to a people and saying, you are more than you think you are. 
And so don't focus on your circumstance. God says, focus on what I am calling you to do. Focus on what I am speaking into your life. Focus on what I am revealing in you. Circumstances don't define you. They're not the final authority in your life, in the lives of your children, in the life of this church. You can reach your children's hearts for God. You can be powerful witness unto me. You can break generational curses. You can lead a people into new awareness of me. You can influence your city for Christ, for I am with you. Judges 6, 17 through 22 carries the story forward. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving them alive. Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait till you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. <laughs> this, is so, this is so cool, because God doesn't waste words. Like, are you getting this? We're, all right, we're going to get there. <clears throat> he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so, and the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, I love that line. Alas, I've seen God face to face. And I'm like, I'm like, so, dude, like, now you believe? Like, <laughs> like now you realize you've been talking to God? But, 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 but dude was genuinely afraid for his life, right? And because the angel, and because the angel touched the stuff and, and poof, disappeared, Gideon had no doubt now that he had been in the presence of God. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. There, there was, there's really only one kind of circumstance. There's really only one kind of circumstance where God uses fire to consume. And that's when he is offered an acceptable sacrifice. When God consumes a sacrifice with fire, it sends a message. It sends a message to you that says, I'm pleased with you. It sends a message to your kin, those who are around you and like you. And it says, my favor is upon them. And it sends a message to your enemies that says, back off. I'm their defender. And there's someone here, I believe, today, in the building or online, who needs to know that God is pleased with you. There's someone listening to me this morning that needs the validation among those who know you, that God's favor is upon you. And there's probably more than one person listening this morning that needs God to become a pillar of fire by night that warns your enemies to back off because you belong to him. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. 
when Gideon brought what he called a sacrifice, it was pretty and neat. You, you see, the Bible tell, takes the time to tell us that, that when, he, when he made the, the, the meat, he put it in a basket. Oh, isn't that nice? And, and, he, and he, he made the bread, and he, he arranged it just so. And he, made the, he took the broth, and he put it in a pot, and everything just had its, had its own place, and it was carefully contained and everything. And he just brought all of this to the angel and set it down and, and said, here's my sacrifice. He, he actually said to him before, I need to bring you an offering. And this is what he brought back, his, his offering. It had, it had perfectly coiffed hair. And it had brushed its teeth that morning. Sprayed on the perfume. Had the makeup all done. It stood at the right time. It sang all the words on the screen. It was, in every respect, a perfect sacrifice. And the angel of God said, I can't bless this. This represents human effort at being acceptable. And then the angel of God says, tells Gideon to do something that's really quite strange and uncanny. He says, Gideon, you've got to make a mess. You've got to take everything that you have carefully put together and you've got to mess it up. Don't need your basket, don't need your pot throw it all together, pour the broth onto Gideon, I'm not going to bless this until you're willing to get real and honest with me, until you're willing to get out of the basket and get raw with me. Let, let this sacrifice come in contact with where my holy fire comes from, and then, then we can talk. See, God isn't interested. I think you get the point in us coming to him carefully put together and arranged. He wants to know if we're willing to show him the mess of our life before he calls it an acceptable sacrifice. But when you do, his holy fire will come and it will clean up the mess in a way that leaves no doubt in your mind that you have been in the presence of God. We're going to finish this up. We're going to wrap it up. I've got to find the runway. <sighs> Judges, Judges 6, 23 and 24. It, last couple of verses we'll look at. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it. The, in NIV, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure I buy that. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm not sure I buy that. You see, to, to Gideon, by this point, to Gideon, Jehovah was not just, oh, God is peace. This man, this man grew up knowing that to see God face to face with a death sentence. You, no man can see me that way and live. And so he is literally deathly afraid 
And so when he, when he gives us the revelation of God and says, Jehovah Shalom, he's not saying, oh, God is, God is a God of peace. He's saying, no, God spared my life and comforted me when I was afraid. God is my peace. Abraham, Abraham wasn't standing holding the son that he almost killed in one arm and building an altar with the other and going, the Lord provides. No! He's saying, my son, who was as good as dead, is alive. He's my provider. God provided for me. We can only reveal the truths of the nature of God when we have gone on the journey of mission and developed this depth of relationship. This is what God wants for every one of us. He wants to provide for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to defend you. He wants to bring you peace. But you can't do it if you're not willing to get messy with God. And so in, in these whatever 14 verses or so, we've, we've really seen how Gideon's call into identity began and, and how that revelation revolutionized his relationship with God. If we were to walk through the next couple of chapters, actually, we would see how it also changed his relationships with his family, with his kindred, even his enemies. We would, we would witness how Gideon became resourceful, taking this tiny band of 300 men and defeating an army that was like a swarm of insects. We would hear how relevant he became to his countrymen, who then pled with him, please, you and your sons rule over us. Talk about making an impact in the lives of people around you. In short, we would see that more and more of the stone was chipped away until the true Gideon emerged at the level of his destiny because destiny always elevates, or identity rather, always elevates you to the level of your destiny. And in all of this, I hear God's voice to every one of us saying, as he said to Gideon, I'm with you. And you are more than you think you are. And so, in closing, as the, the musicians can come, thank you. We're going to wrap this up. What, I just want to ask some questions. What destiny? What destiny does God have in store for you? What is he saying about your place and your purpose? About your garden? What's he calling you to do in order to become what he intends for you to be? How is God revealing himself to you? Who is he saying he will be for you? Who is God affirming in you? Strengthening in you? Who is that angel inside of you that God is trying to reveal? The angel buried in the stone of your life. <laughs> the angel buried in the stone of your life. Stones and stones and burials don't really mean much to him. He, he tends to be a little bit flip about them. 
I wonder if there's someone here this morning that needs to hear the voice of a master from, the, from behind the doorway of a stone saying, come forth. Come forth. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.